We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined by my victorious national championship amigos, Dr. J and Scott the Stat Assassin. Dr. J, tell the people what's up. The mailman cometh. <laughs> and Scott, tell the people what's up. <laughs> I got nothing to that. <laughs> you can't top that. Uh, Billy, I'm going to need you to get some celebration music ready because I think we might be celebrating something pretty cool here in about the next month. And yes, y'all, Billy the Intern is still around. Longest internship in history. <laughs> Guys, let's jump right into this. It's a weeknight. We've all got kids to take care of. Let's jump right into the discussion. We are number one. We as in the UGA Bulldogs are the number one team in the country. Again, pretty easily, pretty handily. Um, the season went as we hoped, but not necessarily as we expected. Uh, I could not have guessed at the beginning of the year that we'd win the SC championship game by 20 points. Scott, even in your most confident dreams, I don't think you would have picked that. No, which it is less about us and more about Alabama wasting what is the most talented team in the history of football on paper. Crazy. But we're here to talk about playoff-related teams. So, you know, <laughs> oh, gosh. This, is, this isn't Fox. This isn't Fox, and I'm not Urban Meyer, so we're not entertaining any of that. We've got so much shade to throw at Bama, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But I have to say, I, I'm not way off a lot a lot of times about my teams and my predictions about teams, but, boy, did I miss on Bama. And I, like everybody else in the world, I said all summer long, they're going to curb stomp everybody in the West. They all have their one close game against an LSU or an Auburn because it's a rivalry game, and they're going to bludgeon everyone else. And we're going to have a hard time beating them in the SC Championship game. And, boy, the line of scrimmage was an issue for them. And one of our coaches at um, my high school, he's a he's our DC. He's one of the smartest football guys I know. And he said trip to me, but they, you know why Bama isn't good on defense right now? He said they haven't been special at defense to tackle in five or six years. And I've I been said, saying that. And I said, <laughs> Brett, one of the buddies and that I do my podcast with has said the same thing. He said, he said, but they, they're average at linebacker and they're average defense tackle. Yeah, and that's up, why up the they're middle. Ju- he said, he said, that's why they're just okay on defense. He said, they're really good in the secondary, but he said, they're just okay right at the middle. And I was like, well, I got to tell it to Scott. Thank you. I like this guy. Well, so Billy, the intern is in my ear telling me there's too much Bama talk right now. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I do want to say something about something you said, David. You were talking about the Georgia season and how we couldn't have predicted that we were going to win the SEC championship by 20 points. Totally agree with that. We didn't predict that our offense would be as good as it has been, but we did predict it would have to be the offense if we were going to be as good or better than we were last year. Like we said, and you know, I I think you could even argue maybe that that the defense has been better than we thought it was going to be. I don't know. I know I I had concerns about the secondary early in the season, but we said like Stetson is going to have to be better. The offense is going to have to carry more of the load and how good has the offense been this year? Is it even better than most, I would say, national pundits would tell you that it has been? I think I think maybe it is. It is for the simple fact that efficiency isn't sexy. And we talked about this earlier in the season on the podcast. But basically, except for halves, which you, you just didn't run the score up, or halves where we turn the ball over, we score all the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. And, and also, it's a little bit weird the way that the team sort of operated this year, which was 
the offense in bigger games was pretty different mm-hmm. than the offense in some less important games. So if you're not a Georgia beat writer or local reporter person, if you're not a fan that's watching every single game, then it's sort of a bit of your selection bias. Did you only see them playing big games? Because then you think they're like, that's the best offense in the nation. You yeah. know, did you only yeah. watch the games that got a little squirrely and were close or really mostly fake close other than Missouri? If you yeah. watch those games, you're like, oh, these guys suck on offense. And, you know, the truth, of course, is a little bit in between. I, it's a, probably a little more skewed towards the big games because <laughs> those are the games you cared about. And if you put all your faith in one or the other, it could, yeah, you could get burned doing that. People lose money like that. Let's just put it that way. And Jonathan, one of the points I was making, I know I start off with the Bama talk, but part of it is because I love to bury Bama because we don't get a lot of shots to do it. So. Bury them, do it. But it's the difference between our team and their team. Yeah. We may have the best offensive line in the nation. And I said this last year after the Natty. I said, guys, we might have the best offensive line in the nation. Mm-hmm. And it's turned out we've had one of the best offensive lines in the nation. We've allowed seven sacks this year. That's yeah. absurd. We've yeah. run the ball for over 200 yards a game. And – don't have a back that's probably going to be a top three round pick in the NFL draft and have run the ball anytime we have actually wanted to. We've run counter. Thank God Todd Munkin finally decided that counter was a play worth calling more than just in emergency situations. And every time we want to run the ball, we run counter tray or counter G and just mash people. It, uh, only in the games that count. And this is where I get into saying the bigger games, I think, are a better representation of the offense because when it's like, you're up 10 at Kentucky and Kentucky will score 10 points on us every like 10 combined quarters. Then you're like, Oh good. First and goal at the four. Let's run a bunch of zone. Oh, plays. God, inside zone. Inside yes. Zone. yes. And it's like they're, I don't know if they're treating it like a controlled scrimmage or if they're treating it like a, we got to put some goal line inside zone on tape so that when we want to run goal line power or counter or whatever in a playoff game, people can't just key on that. Yeah, I don't know which one it is, but it's clearly one of those because nobody's calling it because they think that's going to be the best play. N- not the fifth time it's gotten stopped. The margins, you know, and how you sort of look at the offense and how good it is or isn't, it fluctuated really heavy in some of the analytical models from game to game when it would be like, oh, here's a Kentucky game. We're not trying to score. It's cold and windy on the road. We're just trying mm-hmm. to wait till the next week. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the LSU game where it's like, oh, it's touchdown o'clock. Let's go get one. <laughs> and, you know, so like three weeks ago, we were like eighth in offense. And then two weeks ago, we were like 25th. And then you play the LSU game and you jump up like 10 spots. Mm-hmm. Um, it, some of that comes from there's not always a huge, huge difference between like 10 and 25 and a lot of stuff. Uh, but we saw that a lot over the whole course of the year. It's that some of the offensive numbers would – start to slow down a little bit and then you play a big game and, you know, just put up 500 yards by the end of the third quarter and your offensive numbers look good again. Yeah. Well, and I've been telling people too, I mean, to somewhat weight our really impressive offensive numbers uh, with the reminder that most fourth quarters in in the season, uh, we're not running our offense or, 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 or have yeah. our starters out there. I mean that was the case last year too. Yeah, um, it was. It, it's not been the case every single week. We've we've had we've had several where you know we we were running something akin to our offense, you know, for for all four quarters. Um, 
but uh, not nearly as often as, as some other teams. Um, and, uh, you know, when you when you remember that as well, I mean, that most most of the offensive numbers we have compiled, you know, we've done many times in three quarters, three and a half quarters. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really crazy. Well, and, and just to be fair, even a game like Tennessee, once we got up three scores, we shut it down on Tennessee. And that's yeah. a game that was a big game. It was bad weather. And we basically sat on the ball for the fourth quarter of that game and said, oh, they might score one. We don't care. This game's over. Yep. Mm-hmm. And even look what we did in the SEC championship. We pulled Jalen Carter off the field at the end of that yep. game in the fourth quarter. Kirby's like, nope, you're done. Don't care if they score. Yep. You're done. Because he is that important. He is why we are not Bama. Which brings me back around to the point that I was going to make. Kirby was quoted as saying, have you had one as good as him? And he said, I don't know that I've ever had one as good as him. That includes Mount Cody. That includes Deron Payne. He said, I don't know that I've ever had one of those at Bama. Now, of course, that's Kirby's to some extent gassing up his guys. But, like, Jalen Carter isn't what they recruited back in peak Bama. They recruited Jordan Davis types. They mm-hmm. recruited guys that could hold a gap and play the run. Not guys that could do that and then loop around a tackle, sack the quarterback, and pick him up with one arm. They didn't have those dudes at Bama. I don't know that we're going to have any more Jalen Carters at Georgia. It's like Jordan Davis. Who's that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Who's that? And, and you know, when we're going to have another Jordan Davis and another Jalen Carter at the same time, same time? with Boy, Trayvon that's... Walker, <laughs> plus the other guy that got drafted in the first round at the same position, Devontae Wyatt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and the number one pick of the draft. Oh, yeah. And the best linebacker in the country. But, but he didn't get drafted first. We had another linebacker that went in the first round. It yeah. was stupid. It's going to be like the number three pick, the number one pick, a guy that got picked like 14th and it was disastrously too low. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And so we've asked the committee, we asked this question to start with is, did the committee get it right? We really mean after Georgia and Michigan, who are clearly the two best teams. This is one year where you could do the BCS game right now and you'd have the two best teams playing. And there's not yep. really any other question. Not to say that Ohio State could win. Ohio State is definitely capable of beating us. We'll get to them in a few minutes. Um, TCU could beat Michigan because TCU has a good offense. I don't think they would. Michigan is a slightly worse version of Georgia, and they were last year. But I want we, we've had this debate over text messages the last few days. The committee at three and four, did they get it right? I was the one that said I wasn't sure that TCU was going to drop out of their spot. You guys pushed back, made really good arguments. And essentially, I'll start with mine. My argument was essentially, I don't know that you punish TCU for having to play an extra game. They're playing a conference where they've already beaten every team in their conference. Their conference championship is a game that Alabama and Ohio State did not earn the right to play in. I had a hard time seeing a team jump them that didn't play because they weren't good enough to win their division in their conference, whereas TCU had already beaten every team in their conference. And they had lost in overtime to a team they'd already beaten earlier that year. And then you guys, especially you, Scott, had several counters to that argument. Yeah, I mean, a a big part of it is – there's not any other elite or even close to elite teams in the Big 12, right? So, I mean, you can play the yeah. switch positions game and like, hey, put TCU and Ohio State having switch places. One, you know, we have four teams in the playoffs, two from the Big 10. Only one of those teams, because of how they do divisions, can be in the, the yeah. conference title game. Yeah. So that's it's not really that much of a knock, I don't think. When you get to like, Bama, who lost two games and didn't win their division because another team that's not a playoff team also won the division. That's a different story, right? But anyway, uh, the thing with TCU is I think on paper, just on paper, 
TCU and Ohio State are pretty close to a coin flip yeah. as far as like what their resumes are. Yeah. Pretty close to a coin flip. On paper, I don't have a problem with saying, oh, they already beat Kansas State. Then they lost to them in overtime. It's this extra game. You shouldn't drop them below Ohio State because, you know, at 12 and over, 11 and one, they were ahead of them, that kind of thing. On paper, that's fine. In practice, a lot of the wins that look good on paper for TCU are a little bit less appealing when you notice how many backup quarterbacks they were playing against. So the meat of their schedule in October, they had like a four-game stretch where they were playing all ranked conference teams in a row, at ranked at the time. Oklahoma, who turns out wasn't good. Kansas, who had a real good start to the season. Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Turns out of those, Kansas State is good. Um, Oklahoma State, not so much. Definitely not Oklahoma. And Kansas was when they had their quarterback, right? Yes. Yeah. Oklahoma game, quarterback gets hurt the first quarter, doesn't come back. Uh, Kansas game. This was, I think, the first week that their quarterback was out. Mm -hmm. They won that game at Kansas by seven. Next game, Oklahoma State, double overtime, win by a field goal. Oklahoma State's quarterback gets hurt. The backup plays most of the game. The next week... Kansas State is up by like two touchdowns, I think. Starting quarterback gets hurt. Backup quarterback comes in. He gets hurt. They finish with a third-string quarterback, and TCU beats Kansas State. And then two weeks later, Texas Tech, playing their freshman backup, has the freshman backup get hurt, so they have to bring in the hobble (laughs) starter who wasn't healthy enough to start the game to come in, and he was like 9 of 25 for 70 yards. So while it looks like on paper going, oh, the Big 12 didn't have a lot of elite teams, but had a lot of good functional teams. They weren't all necessarily good functional teams when TCU played them. Yeah. And so fair. that to me is what pushes it down. You know, if if Ohio State had been playing a backup quarterback when they played Notre Dame and Iowa and Penn State and Indiana and Maryland, then those would be a little more even. The simplest version of this argument is TCU and Ohio State have identical records. They have similar resumes. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows that Ohio State is better than TCU. Yeah. And all the metrics bear that out. So why would you not have Ohio State third and TCU fourth? But my question to you, David, is this. You said you didn't know how you felt, I guess, or you didn't know if you should penalize TCU for playing an extra game. Let me ask you this. I bet you haven't considered this scenario. What would you have done if USC had lost to Utah in exactly the same way that TCU lost to Kansas State. If USC had lost like a super close, hard-fought overtime game, but lost, would they still be four? Absolutely no. not. Lost twice no. the same team. So you would penalize USC for playing an extra for playing an extra game, but you would penalize TCU for playing an extra game. Well, the difference the difference there for me is that it's a team that they had they'd already lost to. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's it's affirming the fact that you which are they not wouldn't the best have had to conference. play again if they hadn't have played an extra game. The the difference for me is that there was no legitimate case for USC being four whatsoever at any point. <laughs> so to to me, they never should have been four. You could have left them at five the whole time, and after they lost, I guess you could have left them at five. It would have been dumb. And that's what I said, and we and we all had this conversation. You did say that, Jay. You did say that before the weekend. All of us yeah. had this conversation on like Wednesday and Thursday before. And that's what I said, Scott. I said, really? You should have just had USC at five and yeah. let them 
play their Earn way it. in theoretically. If they if they had an impressive yeah. win in the Pac-12 championship, then you've got that to stand on, whether it's a real accomplishment or not. And then you put them into four. To me, doing it the other way around didn't make much sense. But it it in fact did penalize them for playing an extra game because they they went from four to five by virtue of being forced to play in the Pac-12 championship game. I hear your argument there, Jay. You're basically saying, like, in the same scenario, do you punish them for playing the extra game if you already if they were already four? Right. I think the one difference to me is, and this is going to be sounds stupid for me to say, but they already had a loss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it also – it didn't punish them. It just gave the committee another week to get it right. That's fair. Now, let me give you all this scenario. And this is the other thing I said to somebody online with TCU. If the, if the Big 12 uses their 2014 format – TCU is the Big 12 champ. There's no debate. Mm-hmm. Yep. They've already beaten everybody. Mm-hmm. There, there was really no reason for them to play a conference championship. That's where I got – that's where I really come from with the penalizing because, like, they had already beaten every team in the conference. And I know under walking circumstances, but they'd already done it. So what else is there for them to prove? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it's just a little bit different. But this was a good debate. And the truth is, truthfully, we do agree that if you're going to pick the four best teams, they got it right. I think most people feel like they got it right. It doesn't really matter if TCU goes to four and loses to Georgia or goes to three and loses to Michigan. Does it really matter? They they got the correct four teams. Yeah. The one thing that does matter is Georgia's odds went way, way down for winning well, a national title State. Yeah. when it wasn't TCU. Right. It it's supposed to be, in theory, that there's basically never four elite teams. Never, ever, ever in one no, year. No, no. It's There's supposed either... to be, if you're the number one seed, you're making sure you get somebody else who's not another elite team. Ohio State may not be an elite team, but also they might be. Mm-hmm. And we know that TCU isn't and won't be. You you need to be you need to be one of the best teams to get into the playoff, but you don't just need to be one of the best teams. You need to be one of the best teams who also performs the best, which is what Bama did. Yes. Not do. Bama yes. is one of the best four teams, but they didn't perform the best. Sh- shout out to uh, to SEC Shorts for anybody that watches those. Yes, videos. that was the, great today. The one they did today about Bama trying to sneak in. Uh, the the little guy who was wearing the Bama shirt said um, he said something like, uh, "Okay, well if we played." Uh, TCU, who would be favored in that game? <laughs> and uh, and the person said, probably the same team that would have been favored against LSU in Tennessee. <laughs> like, it's like, that's exactly right. You have to beat them. You have to win. Do you know what that's from? Nick Saban said that in an interview, and a reporter clapped back at him and said, you were favored in the two games you lost. <laughs> and right. this goes back to something that I beat the drum for. And I'm going to say this now since we're, we're, we're about to dump on Bama before we jump to the OSU game. And I'm saying this about OSU, too. I don't care what your talent says. And now OSU has dominated the majority of their games this year, with the exception of Maryland. And I think they had one other kind of stinker game. Uh, um, Northwestern in like a super cold win. That was it, Northwestern. Yeah. They have played in a dominant fashion for the majority of the season. No team dominates all 12 games. It's very, very rare. I think what 2020 Bama was like the last team that literally blew everybody off the field. I mean, we did that last year, 2021. Well, prior to the SEC, yeah. we did. But like we said, we said 12, we said 12. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. But what I was pointing out to people is when you say Bama's one of the four best, you're arguing for Bama at their peak. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just argue that a team's best when they play at their peak, because one of the things that makes teams great is consistency. How often have we said that? Have you heard Dick Saban say that consistency is one of the marks of a great team. So Bama was peak Bama. What four games this year. 
I don't think they were played that well four games. Nick Nick Saban Nick Saban gets furious at the microphone when we little reporters ask him about like talent level and like odds. It's it's all rat poison. Like he starts to twitch a little bit. Like he can't stand. He just <laughs> he can't believe that anybody would bring up like the the talent gap between you know Alabama and Kent State or whatever it is. Um, until of course he had to make his media tour this weekend. Um, and then it's a different tune. And he's got to do what he's got to do. But guess right. what? If you're one of the four best teams, none of the other teams in the top five gave up 50 in a loss. That's right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. And none of the other top four teams have two losses. So I know that they were both in the last play of the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And my same argument with Ohio State. If you want to put to rest the conversation about whether or not you're one of the four best teams, don't lose by 22 at home. And in that vein, teams that are losing the most sleep this week, I mean, Tennessee. Like yes. beat, South, beat Carolina. South Carolina and you're in, you're in, you're like, in. I mean, Clemson even beat South Carolina, beat South Carolina, and you're in. And Clemson bench, play your functional quarterback. That's right. Like play your better quarterback, man. You said this, Scott, and whether or not I like it, it has turned out to be true. The committee doesn't pick the best teams; they pick the mm-hmm. power five teams with the fewest losses. That yeah. is the most accurate assessment of the committee's choices over the last however many years that I've ever heard, and it's true. They pick the power five teams with the fewest losses. That is accurate. When your conference with one or zero losses and you're in, and we have said that for several years now, Ohio State did not do that. They are still in. This was the worst matchup for Georgia. We have mm-hmm. said we have said this all along. There's two things I don't want to see Georgia play in the, in the um, CFP. I don't want a team with really elite outside weapons. And I don't want to see Bryce Young. Those are the two things I do not want to see in the college football playoff. We avoided one of them because Bryce Young plays the cape on, and it's not fair. And, however, we do go to quarterback who, while I think he is overrated, he is very, very good. He's got probably the best receiver in college football, but we got good news today, didn't we, Jay? We sure did. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, will not be playing in the CFP. Uh, still dealing with a injury, he says, that he's been trying to rehab for a long time. Um, and he is focusing on getting healthy. Actually, he says that the doctors have not cleared him to return for the playoff, is what he says. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Scott's face right now. I asked Dr. Mom, <laughs> and she talked to Dr. Agent, and they both said, I'm not cleared to play. I'm not cleared to play. So we do not have to deal with him. We do have to deal with Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, we do not have to deal with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And Julian Fleming and uh, the guy's last name starts with a B. And I said this, though, like – I said this was two days ago. I said, having to play them at full strength terrifies me. Travion Henderson at full strength. Mayan Williams at full strength. And then you're getting a first-round pick back at receiver who hasn't played this year, essentially. That scares me. That scares me. I am a lot less scared with Jackson Smith and Jacob because I think we all know how this game is going to go from an offensive perspective. Ohio State will try to run the ball. They won't. They'll end up throwing it 45 times and you hope and pray three or four of those don't go over your head. And the likelihood of that significantly decreases when Jackson Smith and Jigba is not on the field. Significantly increases. And I think that we all would agree here, UGA is the better team, not only on paper, but in how they played and their consistency. But if we can't pressure C.J. Stroud and they do get in that situation where they're just throwing the ball. Guys like that, you don't necessarily want putting the ball in the air 40 times because they will find ways to burn you. 
And so I think that's my concern is that we might be so effective stopping the run that they go to a pass only offense, and then we might actually really struggle to stop them. However, yep. I also think that based on what I saw their safety play, giving Todd Munkin a month to scheme them up, we might have 560 yards of offense on them. <laughs> I just yeah. pray that we get the red zone efficiency to put up 42 and not 32. And, you know, on the, the theme of wide receiver health, we don't really know. I'm guessing the A.D. Mitchell, Mitchell will be yeah. pretty healthy and ready to go. God, uh, he's had it. His so, ankle sprain's about like Smith and Jigba's hamstring. Good grace, he's yeah. alive. <laughs> it, except for he's been out there, like, practicing and doing as yeah. much as he can and, like, yeah. warming up before games. And Jackson Smith and Jigba has been, you know, not anywhere close to actually being on the field for a long time. Um, and obviously, Lad McConkey too, right? What kind of knee injury exactly he's dealing with? How healthy he is? So those things will will play in for for both teams. But you got almost a month for both teams to get healthy. The yeah. the, the pressure, as you said, David, is is going to be absolutely crucial. Um, if if we don't get pressure, and that doesn't necessarily mean sacks. Sacks would be lovely, um, but uh, you know, a, a collapsing pocket, uh, getting him off his spot. Um, we, we are really going to have to do that if, if we want to keep them in check and a lot of reason to believe that we will be able to do that. Um, that of course is absolutely what wrecked, uh, the other best offense that we played this year in the Tennessee game, uh, was, was the defensive pressure. Um, that was Jalen Carter's first game back or, or maybe he had played a few second game back game before. He, yeah. he, he played a lot of key third and fourth downs against Florida the week before. But yeah. you could tell he's on a snap count. But yeah, Tennessee's first full game back. And just, I mean, boy, talking about announcing his return. I mean, I, he he was so huge in that game. And then for some reason, Tennessee just could not figure out uh, that uh, defensive backs are also allowed to blitz the quarterback. Um, just... <laughs> well, Willie Martinez didn't know that in the defense of Tennessee uh, football <laughs> players. Could not figure that out. Um, so I don't know how many of those we're going to run against CJ Stroud, but um, we're going to have to do some things uh, to get to him. That That is going to be – it might be everything uh, in that game. One difference when it comes to playing a team like Ohio State versus a team like Tennessee, and this is where Ohio State's a little bit scarier, Ohio State has the talent. They have the NFL dudes mm-hmm. top to bottom. Yes. The Tennessee yes. doesn't have, Mm-mm. right? Tennessee had Tillman and Hyatt. Ohio State has like four more guys after that. Yeah, and – and they have guys on the line of scrimmage, right? And Tennessee yeah. has guys where, I mean, like, sure, Jalen Carter's going to beat dudes, but your other guys are also yeah, much you, – you have way more NFL guys on the line of scrimmage than Tennessee does. Against Ohio State, you might still have more NFL guys, but, you know, if you're looking at the, the full rotation of how many guys you play on both lines of scrimmage together, you play, I don't know, 14 guys – instead of nine NFL guys to like four NFL guys, it's like nine NFL guys to seven NFL guys. This is much, much, much smaller margins. And CJ Stroud is accurate. He's strong-armed. One thing he is not is a great runner. Now, he's mobile. Yeah, not a, a willing runner, maybe? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, to me, that's part of it. I mean, if you're not willing to run, you're not, probably not a great runner. CJ Stroud can get a first down. He's not going to be in the design QB run game, which is a big part of Tennessee's attack. He's not Justin Fields. And anytime you tell me that the Q run is out as a defensive coach, which I am, oh, give me a guy that'll stand in the pocket or even scramble. But design quarterback run means I 
changes my numbers count in the box, which is why it's so hard. Now, scrambling quarterbacks are a hell of a pain to defend. Don't get me wrong. But when you take the quarterback run out, it changes so many of your assignments up front. And who knows? Maybe they'll run C.J. Stroud. Maybe they've been saving that. But- and, yeah, that's that's always a little bit of a concern, right, is especially with, like, the college quarterbacks who are trying to put passing skills on display for NFL future who are trying to not get destroyed before their NFL draft picks, they may be consciously trying to not run for multiple reasons. And then you get to like playoff title game scenarios. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, this is a one game win or don't win scenario. And you know, they, if they're smart, they put that running back on the table a little bit. That being said, he is not the best runner that we will have faced Mm-mm. this year. Mm-mm. He is, if he's not the fifth best running quarterback, we'll have no. to see. He's definitely behind Bo Nix, Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, Jaden Daniels. So, yeah, he's not in the top yeah, five exactly, as far as exactly. running ability. But still, in a game like this, it just means that all those zone reads or RPOs that you just treat like he's not going to ever keep it because he exactly. never keeps it. Exactly. Keep two of those, two big first downs. They could hurt you. Quick aside, you mentioned Bo Nix. He's been sacked three times this year, guys. Yeah, that's that's why when you looked, we talked about this for the Tennessee game. When you looked at Georgia's for, opponent adjusted pressure rate and sack rate, they're through the roof because we yeah. played a lot of freaking teams where the quarterbacks are big and fast and they just run back twenty yards and chuck it out of bounds. When we told you that Bo Nix was notoriously hard to sack, he's literally the hardest quarterback to sack in college football. How many does Stetson have? Like five? The team has seven. I think Stetson might have five. Yeah. Um, Bonix has three. He's literally impossible to sack, folks. So we were talking to you about how good our defense front is. Now, not, not to worry about the pressure. That's what we were saying. Now, while we're on OSU, how concerned w- should we be about what we just saw LSU do to us in the championship game? And while the number of yards is a bit of an anomaly, we did see a trend continue that we have seen all year, and that is that we have played the ball poorly in the air, extremely and- poorly. And the PIs keep mount, mounting and- Mounting yeah. and mounting on Keely Ringo. And by we, we mostly mean Keely Ringo because that's the majority of the scenarios where the ball, where the players there and the ball is misplayed. You had Starks that he misplayed did. one. Should have been a he pick. Mis- yeah, he misplayed it just barely. Keely, yeah, that's the one that scares you. And it's like you said, they might take the 2019 LSU approach and just say, nope, not worth running the ball or throwing it every time. And that's scary. And one of these days, coaches are going to stop being dumb. But, you know, hopefully not soon. Yeah. it. Do, I mean, it. agree that it doesn't seem like it was really scheme issues against LSU. Um, right. The, the question is, how do you feel about that? Do you do you feel better because it wasn't scheme or do you feel worse? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, there was a big part of it that was scheme, and that was called prevent defense. Like lots of those big chunk yards that got things moving – we're just like throwing little like post or seam routes to the tight end when you're rushing three or four guys and just sitting back in pre-mint. Yeah. Lots and lots of big chunk yards came off of that. And then you had kind of two big chunk plays that were a little bit fluky where the backup quarterback kind of runs away and yeah. somebody got lost yeah. and got chucked. And I mean, there, there, there was one where he absolutely should have been sacked and mm-hmm. I, I, he, he got out of that as a miracle. There was another one that he had no business, like when he threw, when Nussmeyer let the ball go, his receiver was down the field, literally bracketed. Like there there was two defensive backs on either shoulder of that guy, Mm -hmm. had no business throwing it. 
but he did. Yeah. And it worked out because we played the ball poorly. Um, and and were, he also did that, and Chris Smith got an interception, and he also did that one time, and we dropped a pick. That's right. true. And so he was definitely just slinging it in a way that may not really be sustainable. There right? were some yellow balls for sure, yeah. So, Jay, the one you're talking about, Malachi Stark just turns the wrong way. Yep. And yeah. loses the ball. And and the one where and the one where Keeley was there and lost the ball and the receiver came back and like re-undercut him when he was in position. That's not a ball you're supposed to throw. And Keeley just makes a pick in the first quarter. He just missed time to jump. He's got a pick in the first quarter against Boutte. Like Yeah. So and, and that one wasn't so bad. Like he was there. It yeah. Just barely off the tip of his finger. That that's one that doesn't bother me as much. But I will say this though. In the first quarter, Jalen Daniels was able to pick apart our zone at first. We were playing zone at the beginning of the game in the first quarter, and we were texting about this. He was picking apart our zone, making very accurate throws. They hurt us across the middle of the field. Um, and I haven't analyzed Ohio State's attack yet. I've watched them some. But I, there's enough concern to say this is probably not going to be a Tennessee game where they score 13. And I think that this offense is going to have success moving the ball. However, if I was to give a prediction – and again, when we make these predictions, essentially what we're saying is, given the most likely set of circumstances, what is the most likely outcome? And so assuming both teams are at full health from what they are now, like Ladd McConkey plays, A.D. Mitchell plays some, Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams are back for Ohio State. Um, is Georgia by seven a realistic prediction, which is what the line is right now, or six and a half? Is that realistic? I would I would, I would, would take Georgia to cover on that. I to our point earlier about how we play in big games. Um, I was talking to my brother actually about, uh, about betting lines. And he told me it, two weeks ago, he asked me about Georgia covering was it 35 against Georgia tech. And I was like, I don't like that at all. No. Then he was like, what about Georgia covering 17 against LSU? I was like, take it. Like we're going to cover. And so, I mean, I, I would, I would say the same thing. And we, you know, um, we're Georgia fans. So, so far we've only talked about the things that we're nervous about, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's the Larry Munson in us. It's Ohio state. It's got a million receivers, yeah, you know, yeah. um, to the to this point about big games, right? Um, yards per play offense nationally with all games included, Tennessee is number one. Ohio state is number two in the country. If you change that to only versus FBS winning teams, Ohio state's yards per play offense drops to, uh, fifth, second in the country is your Georgia Bulldogs. Um, by the way, uh, Tennessee drops to 25th if you, if you filter it down. Okay. Against FBS winning teams. Who's won? Uh, USC? Washington. Georgia is second only to Washington. Wow. Okay. In that, in that filter. And and part of that is you are now cutting it down to like a six game sample size. Yeah. Six yeah. Games. And Washington only has four games. Washington played four yeah. games against FBS winning teams. Okay. Georgia and Ohio State both played six. Well, mm-hmm. and, and if you're Ohio State, what about Georgia concerns you? And we we know it starts with stopping Georgia's offense. What about Georgia's offense concerns you? Uh, what would concern me if I'm Ohio State is being able to get pressure, mm. right? Georgia has not given up a lot of sacks. Mm-mm. A lot of times people like to say sacks are actually a quarterback stat. That's obviously – an overcorrection to how people usually treat it yeah. on the offensive line. It's definitely both our, especially our tackles really good in pass pro Stetson being, you know, 
over here checking his, has enough time to check his 401k before he like dumps it to Kenny McIntosh if there's nobody open downfield. Um, but also he's mobile and will move around and not give up sacks as well. Threw some balls so, against pressure this week too. Made some good throws against pressure this week. Yeah, okay. which has been more par for the course in the bigger games. But it's just one of those things where there's not negative plays, right? You don't get sacks. You don't have rushes for negative yards. No, no. It ever. is hard. It is hard to stop teams if they don't have any negative plays, right? That's true. Um, and then there's also the concern of Michigan the last couple of years has given them some trouble with physicality. Mm-hmm. More so last year than this year. Last year you had like Ohio State linebackers dodging, pulling guards in the hole at the goal line because they didn't want to like be physical. Yeah. Th- this year you didn't see as much of that. This year you saw Ohio State being very, very aggressive in the numbers against the run, uh-huh. which basically means for the whole second half, every run is like a third and one, fourth and one type scenario from like a numbers stylistic box approach, which gets you stop, 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 stop. Oops, there goes 80. And that's exactly what we saw. It's a high risk, high reward thing. But what would concern me if I'm Ohio State is well, where does that go when Georgia doesn't have any negative plays and when they have two tight ends all the time and they can just flex those guys out if they don't like the numbers in the box. And now we're that's, stuck in our big personnel. That's that's it. I, to, to the point about physicality, I, they're concerned about our actual offensive tackles and then they're concerned about our offensive tackles who run pass routes. Uh, whose names mm-hmm. are Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Just mm-hmm. every time you come out of that 12 personnel, um, anyone we're playing against is, to Scott's point, you know, Ohio State's offense maybe being somewhat high risk, high reward. Uh, our offense is low risk, high reward. It's what our offense is. Um, if we get A.D. Mitchell back, I mean, that, that's that's a whole other yeah. element that literally – I mean, you don't even have film on from this year. I mean, you don't even know how we would use him. It's um, true. I don't know how we'd use again, him. <laughs> I mean, just to bring that home, I mean, I you know, the running game lately, right early in the season, we were like, okay, well, Stetson's throwing it all over the place. We got tight ends, you know, four of them, you know, whatever. Um, and the power run game, maybe not what it once was. Our last three games, uh, 247 yards rushing, 264 yards rushing, 255 <laughs> yards rushing. That's our last three games. Um, so yeah, the, that's what concerns you if, if you're Ohio State's defense. And, and Ohio State has some serious scheme issues still. And I told you that, as Scott mentioned, softness was an issue last year, but they also had just some basic scheme stuff. I was watching them against Minnesota two years ago. This is the game when Muhammad Abraham went off on them, and I'm sitting there counting numbers in the box. Um, I think I texted you guys, Minnesota went to a two tight end set, and I said, Ohio State didn't bump, they're short a man on this edge, and bam, Minnesota rips from a 40 yard touchdown. Ohio State still has some scheme issues. What they did at the end of the game against Michigan, as Scott said, was they went to a lot of one-high safety looks. But the problem was they were adjusting their overhead overhang defender to the wrong side of the formation. And if you watch both of those runs, both of those long runs by Donovan Edwards came to the side that was away from the overhang defender that Ohio State had placed. And I know I'm getting way out of the weeds, but I'm telling you, Jim Knowles is a great coordinator. But they mm-hmm. still have some fundamental issues with scheme when it comes to stopping the power run, especially against heavy sets. And those long runs on Michigan came in heavy sets. They were 22 or 12 personnel. And I'm just telling you, if Ohio State's going to go one high, the safeties they have can't make those tackles. They're going to be asking those safeties to tackle Brock Bowers in space. <laughs> Good luck with that. I have yet to see the college football team that can do that. 
So not only do you have to worry about having, as I mean, how many how many people do you know that can talk about Bowers, period? And you're talking about a group of subpar safeties. Alabama, who has elite safeties, couldn't tackle him as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Like, it's game over if he gets the ball in space against those guys. Brock Bowers, this is going to be one of those games where he catches the slant and goes 80 yards after he runs over the safety. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Now, mm-hmm. what you have to hope is that Malachi Starks doesn't miss a tackle in the open field and Chris Smith doesn't miss a tackle in the open field in the same game what they did against LSU, which hasn't happened all year. Yeah. The one thing I will say is where Ohio State has some dudes that you just look at and you're like, oh, that's an NFL-looking dude right there. That's more of their kind of edge guys with yeah. Harrison and yeah, Harrison's good and JT to a to yeah. a Malau. I forget how you yeah. say his name exactly. Those, those they're dudes. Yeah. yeah. Now you know, I think I think that that's a pretty okay matchup for us because we have been fine handling edge guys and our tackles have done such a good job. Um. If I wanted to be pessimistic about it, those guys might be a little bit more physical and a better blend of power and speed than other edge combos we've seen. It's like Ojolari and Perkins, a really good edge duo, edge combo, right? Perkins is a freshman. He's playing really fast. Yeah. He's not like going to run over your tackles, right? BJ Ojolari does not have the same mean streak I think that Aziz had the one yeah the one that we missed by not having Nolan Smith out Mm. there the one where he says like I'm a hundred pounds lighter than you and screw you anyway right and so Mm -hmm. I I think Harrison and and JT for them yeah might have a better combination of of speed and power where guys that can maybe make plays in the run game and the pass game and this leads us kind of to our last question we all just saw that Stetson Bennett was announced as a Heisman finalist. Stetson Bennett has been the best of all the Heisman finalist quarterbacks in big games. Jay, go ahead and read the numbers, man. So this is Stetson Bennett in games against currently ranked top 25 opponents, of which he has played either five or six. And when you compare his numbers against C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker, and Caleb Williams, I don't know if Max Duggan was on that list or not. I don't remember if he was on that list. Right, he he is he is on this list. Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan, Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker. Uh, Stetson Bennett has uh, the best completion percentage, seventy three percent in the five games. This is five games against currently ranked AP top twenty five teams. AP top twenty five teams. Uh, second in that category, by the way, is C.J. Stroud at seventy percent. Um, Max Duggan only at fifty nine. Um, Stetson Bennett has the second most yards. He has 1,472 yards against those teams. Uh, first was Caleb Williams with 1,626. Uh, Stetson has the most TDs, uh, the thing he's been kind of dinged for, right, compared yeah. to other Heisman uh, candidate quarterbacks, like his sort of low t- touchdown number. Uh, he has 13 touchdowns. Um, th- now, that's just passing touchdowns. It's yeah, yeah passing that's just passing touchdowns. touchdowns. He has which, four more rushing is, touchdowns. Which is the most. Uh, the, yeah. the second most was 12. C.J. Stroud only has five passing touchdowns in mm. the only three games that he has played against current AP Top 25 teams. Uh, Stetson, Stetson Bennett also has four rushing touchdowns, mm. uh, so 17 in total. Um, he has the highest QBR by a lot. Uh, Stets QBR is 185. Uh, second Gosh. On, on this list is Caleb Williams at 158. Uh, I, he's also leading that group in 
absolutely embarrassing goal line ankle breaking jukes. (laughs) (laughs) Say it. Say it, Scott. And just in case y'all forgot, the last three games of last season, which was the SC championship game and the college football playoff games, Stetson had, and I don't have it in front of me, was it eight touchdowns, two picks, and almost a thousand yards? Yeah, and and we throw the ball a little bit more once we start playing big games where we mm-hmm. know that you know we might actually need some points. It's been that way for a long time with Kirby, going back to like Fromm's freshman year, even mm-hmm. though people you know didn't notice or pay attention. But so well, Stetson Stetson Bennett the fourth, aka the mailman, is a finalist for the Heisman trophy i i can't i know i've said this on text i'm i'm not sure it's possible to remember what you thought stetson bennett was in 2017 literally an espn 30 for 30 lead in what if i told you that stetson (laughs) bennett was possibly going to lead georgia to -to back-to-back national championships and be a finalist for the heisman freaking trophy it is unbelievable he is Fight me. He is the greatest quarterback in the history of Georgia football. He's Bro, you said, what do we think about him in 2017? I was, we didn't know who he was. Be, I was yelling for him to be benched a year ago after the SC championship. How did he, we He get transferred here? out to Jones Community College and came back, y'all. He came back and oh then led us to the first national championship in 41. I, I mean, it's just, it, it is truly unbelievable. The the best oh gosh the absolute best part about the whole sets and Bennett thing is how mad it makes some other fan bases and that's my favorite part of the experience. you're winning with that guy <laughs> and they're like oh that guy's terrible and then it's right. like what he shouldn't be a Heisman finalist he's he's the worst uh, how yeah. old is that guy twenty nine years old ridiculous <laughs> yeah right twenty touchdowns this year seven rushing touchdowns he had twenty nine passing touchdowns last year and I think it was two rushing touchdowns so. When you pull it together, it actually is comparable to what he had last year. Scott, you brought this up earlier, but he's had what, like eight plays or passing it, plays where his receivers tackled at the one yeah, yard line or two it, yard line? It's something really stupid. It's very fluky that he doesn't have at least another good, like five passing touchdowns. Yeah. So, and it, if you're making the case for him a little bit more, too, is the offense has run a lot more through Stetson this Mm -hmm. year right Mm -hmm. i think last year he threw just a little bit shy of 300 passes and that includes all the way through the playoff he's already right now at about 400 passes he has more passing yards on the season than cj stroud does that is wild yeah so he's definitely you know he got labeled the game manager last year because he was in a bit of a game manager role not by me sir (laughs) <laughs> well, no, no. I'm saying he got labeled that because his role was often that of a game manager, even though that does not fit with his style, style of the type of quarterback he is, mm-hmm. right? And this year, it has been a pretty good balance of not asking him to go out there and be like Peyton Manning or like Lamar Jackson or something, where it's like, hey, be this, like elite elite player that you're just you know he's not on that level um but also legitimately putting still a lot on him and finding that balance between you know okay he's not trevor lawrence but he can do more than just manage a game if uga does not beat ohio state and does not win the national championship 
what went wrong because we know what it looks like for us to win it. But good defense, run the ball late in games after having success throwing the ball to our tight ends. We know what it looks like. It'll look like LSU. It'll look like Tennessee. It'll like Kentucky. If we don't win it, what went wrong? I'll go first. And this is the same thing that I said would be the reason we lose any of these games. You get bad step, which means he's misses some open shots and or turns the ball over and the ball gets thrown over our head. It's a combination of those two things because no one's going to run the ball on us. Jalen Carter could break both legs, knock on wood. He does it. And nobody would still run the ball on us. LSU had 47 rushing yards. You know what their longest run of the day was? 47 yards. <laughs> Meaning they had negative rushing yards on all of their remaining running plays. Was, was that the one where the dude got his butt chased down by uh, Lassiter? That's correct. Oh, beautiful. That's correct. Which means they had negative rushing yards on all their other attempts the rest of the day. Or uh, what amounted to zero rushing yards. Jay, what do you think? If Georgia does not complete this national title run, what went wrong? I, I'm not sure I can Im- improve on the on the two things that you suggested. Okay. Uh, I, turnovers has to be one of them. That, yeah, I mean, it would have in, to be. In in the games this year where uh, we've even thought for a second that the game was in danger or might be closer than we wanted it to be, it was really because of turnovers and, mm-hmm. and almost nothing else. So that has to be on the list of things that would go wrong if we lose to Ohio State or don't win the national championship. And then, uh, the second thing you said, the ball getting thrown over our head. I, I mean, it, I think that's the only scenario where we give up a lot of points. Um, and, and it hasn't really happened uh, except for what against LSU when we were already up 35 to 10 or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, and if you that know. was a bit fluky still, as we mentioned, some of that was a bit fluky. Some of it wasn't, but some of it was a bit fluky. Sure. Um, and uh, I don't know, once against Kent state or, or whatever it was, but um, no, I mean, those, those are, those are the two things. Um, it's kind of funny that it's, it's sort of the opposite from last year. Whereas last year, I just couldn't imagine the defense letting us down. Um, And the offense is what felt like it needed to step up this year. um, It's sort of flipped. I I just kind of can't imagine our offense not showing up, totally letting us down uh, save, except for the possibility of turnovers. Um, And it's the defense where I'm, I'm going to be, you know, just a little bit nervous um, until we get a lead. Yeah, I will say, you know, we mentioned that Ohio State's defense can be pretty aggressive. They, they, David, you mentioned it, you know, them playing one high. They kind of do that a lot, just period. Not just, oh, this team's going to run the ball and, you know, we're behind. Time to get aggressive. They like to play that way a lot. That's how Oklahoma State played a lot the last couple of years with Jim Knowles there, right? It is high risk, high reward. That's also the really aggressive strategy where you can make a few plays and all of a sudden you're stringing together three or four quick three and outs, right? Or a couple three and outs and, you know, an interception or something like this. It it can snowball a bit. And so that's the thing is they're the way their offense can score quickly and the way their defense can get quick three and outs like that by being aggressive if those both happen at the same time, things can snowball yeah. pretty quickly. And yeah. you can go from being up, you know, 17 to 7 to down 28 to 21 in a quarter real quick. And then all of a sudden it's a totally different game. Um, so one of the things you have, that will absolutely be important 
is to not let one of those kind of runs happen, which we've been very, very good at in big games. We've also been able to sort of keep arrows in the quiver at all times this season, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we need a first down. We need a touchdown. Time to call those plays. And they work. If you want to say, hey, how could it go wrong? Uh, have we called all those plays? Are those all on tape now? No. I, I don't think so. Um, but a higher percentage them, of them are on tape now than they were before, right? So there's always a chance that people pick up on some trends and stuff with a lot of time to study. Uh, pick out some things that, you know, like we even as fans that try and pay, play close attention to, obviously may not have even noticed. There could be some stuff like that. It's not the biggest worry in the world because, like Ohio State, we also have an army of like quality control assistants and staffers that are doing all kinds of self scouting and all this kind of stuff. So those are some things that I'll be paying attention to when that game happens. And y'all, here's where we are as a program. Are you talking about other teams' fans being mad at us? Like somebody's like, "Oh, the Georgia fan is worried about their defense." Like, like I, like I just said that the offense I'm counting on. And if I'm nervous about anything, it's the defense when by every single major efficiency analytic there is, we've had the number one defense in the country for the entire season and it hasn't really been close. Um, So (laughs) take that for what you will uh, with however many grains of salt is necessary. So with that said, we have a prediction of a back-to-back national championship. Am I correct, gentlemen? I mean, we've got Stetson Bennett at quarterback, don't we? I mean, come on. <laughs> yes, um, I'm predicting the national championship. We we would win the Super Bowl if if we could play for it. <laughs> oh gosh, I do think okay. we. I think what we all agree is let's say this: games are not played on paper, but if you're playing probabilities, Georgia's the best team. Georgia definitely the best team. I think if you go by some of the models, we were closer to fifty percent chance to win the title before USC lost. Mm-hmm. And then Ohio State gets in, and our title odds go down from 50 to 40. Yeah. All in general, models are built around regular season data because there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more data. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get into playoff small game scenarios, and you know it's like we said, well, are we the team that tries hard in the big games or the team that takes it easy in the small games? We're probably more the team that, is much better and clearly more prepared and cares more in yeah. the big games. Yeah. And so if that is true, then uh, while the models have us at like 40% to win it, which is more than it's the most of the four teams. If that's true, then yeah, like maybe it's more like a 60% and I uh, would take us over the field. And, and I think that's true, but I do think it is actually pretty close. From a matchup standpoint, Ohio State's the worst matchup. Michigan's the best team. But Michigan is the best matchup because what Michigan does well is what we defend well. And that's probably vice versa. TCU might be the best matchup because they <clears throat> might just be the team that does not have enough dudes on the line of scrimmage. That's fair. That's fair because Michigan is good on both lines of scrimmage. That is, that's fair. All right, guys. We went way long. I'll have to edit this way down again. Hopefully um, – It'll be great content for people. The last few, I know we've got good feedback on. I actually got somebody asking if we were going to release one last week after the SC Championship game. 
So we have fans requesting our content. As always, thanks, Mom. I have a feeling that in a month, right before the Natty, we'll probably be doing this again. So I'll save any further thoughts for now. Guys, thanks for jumping on. Scott, tell the people, adios. If you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Jonathan, tell the people, adios. Not only should Seth win the Heisman Trophy, they should rename it after him. <laughs> this has been Dave with the Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.